the Ghost Goal Podcast. With three games left to go before the break for November's World Cup, the Premier League is starting to get juicy from top to bottom with upsets and slip-ups rampant among the league over the weekend. Liverpool continued their miserable away form, losing 1-0 at bottom side Nottingham Forest, while Tottenham made it two losses in a row as Newcastle walked out 2-1 winners in North London, jumping Chelsea and Manchester United into fourth place as those sides played out to a 1-1 draw with plenty of late drama on display. I'm Alex, here with Javier. Welcome to the Ghost Goal Podcast, episode 377. Javier, we'll get to uh, good, good evening, Alex. Unusual. Good evening. The unusual. We'll get to that as well, but we'll get to the unusual dropping of points for your arsenal uh, in a little bit. But we've, uh, you guys have got competition for biggest slip up in the league this weekend. So uh, we, we got to talk about some of the other ones first. Well, first of all, how you doing, man? Doing okay, even despite the, lo- the slip up. Doing pretty well, uh, especially because Tottenham lost. You know, can't be uh, another point. Gained on Tottenham. Chelsea and United both drop points. So yeah, City won, but whatever. City are going to win the title. It doesn't matter. I don't really care about City. I'm not really... It's it, Of course, it's nice to dream and think that we could actually win the title, but like we're not going to win the title. So our main rivals are Tottenham, Chelsea, Manchester United, and Liverpool. Um, and then, you know, maybe outside shots Newcastle right now, the way that they're playing. So Everything's still fine for Arsenal. I would agree yeah, with you. I would say like that's not a big deal, getting a point there. Do you want to just get that game out of the way quickly, or do you want to start somewhere else? No, let's start somewhere else. Right. Like, like I said, I don't there's have too much I mean, to say about it, but a little bit. I feel of like we have to start with Chelsea, Manchester United, because despite the game not being like the entertaining, drama-filled fixture, people probably would hype it up to be. I think people who have been watching the league for a good few years now and, and know these two teams know that when they get together, it's usually a pretty cagey affair, and. Saturday was no different as it was, you know, 1-1. A uh, couple of chances for each side throughout the game, but the both goals came late, later on as Jorginho uh, scored a penalty in the 87th minute and uh, Casemiro grabbed a point for United in the fourth minute of uh, six injury time minutes. I was uh, not watching this one live. I was busy at uh, Maryland Homecoming, but uh, I literally just finished watching the full game before we jumped on this, uh, you know, this uh, this recording session. So it's very fresh in my mind, and I- I'm pretty happy I didn't waste my time watching it and instead like hung out with my well, friends. It wasn't. It wasn't a very good performance from Chelsea. First of all, in the first or half, United. I-, I didn't think United were nah, amazing United either. Were pretty like, good. I- I'm sorry. United just because we're, we're at home. Good. Just because. No, nah, I. I- calling bullshit on that just because we were at home and I think we've been on like a decent unbeaten run whereas Man United have recently been you know beaten 6-3 by Manchester City uh the last time they played away against a you know top six quote top six side I think people just kind of expected us to you know beat them 1-0 or maybe like 2-1 just exit but both teams just kind of canceled each other each other out with you know their initial starting formations and then you know, two different substitutions, one from each team throughout the game that sort of changed the dynamic of the game to a degree. But eventually it just ended up in them canceling each other out. And I, th- I think a point was a pretty fair result for both sides. Uh, what, what did you think about Manchester United was so good? I'd be, I'd be I, I didn't think a point happy was to really hear fair. The, I thought United deserved to win the game. Uh, first of all, in the first half, Potter got the, the, the formation wrong. 
Um, I think the way that you guys started, you were just getting overrun in midfield for the first 30 minutes. Pretty much Chelsea always, or Manchester United always had a spare man in midfield, um, and you guys couldn't get the ball off them. I mean, I think the possession was like 60-40 at the end of the first half. And by the end of the game, I mean, it's. I, I bet you you can go back and look, and I bet you it's been a decade since Manchester United had more possession than Chelsea away from home. So at Chelsea, Manchester United have been like a counterattacking side. They've been a team that's sat, sat back, and that wasn't them this game. They started so to play I, I a little an bit more like Ten Hag wants them to play. They were trying to press higher yeah. up the pitch. They were trying to hold the ball more. They were playing the ball back more between their center backs, but also to their full backs. Um, and then quick transitions, triangles up the pitch. And I, 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 I thought they were pretty good. So I thought do you that want they. Why, okay, and do you want to The reason happened? why I'm saying I thought they were pretty good. One sec, Alex. One, the reason why I thought they were pretty good is because they've been shit for a while now. For. I mean, since like I know they beat you in Liverpool. Yeah, I'm saying shit in the sense like they haven't been fun to watch or like good to watch since probably like since Ferguson. Like I like Moyes, Van Gaal, Mourinho, you know, Solskjaer. They've all just been butchers and defense defensive managers. And Ten Hag's the first manager that's kind of brought like a high attacking you know, high energy style and United are starting to play it. And it's, and it's kind of getting fun to watch them now. You know, I think Jaden Sancho is struggling a lot in the system. He's coming off at halftime a lot. He hasn't been, uh, you know, getting goals or assists or really getting part. Rashford got a bunch of chances. He had like three, three good chances in the first half. Um, I think another chance in the second half, Fred had a chance in the second half. When you said a couple of chances, United had five really good chances in this game. And I think they had three good the, chances in the, the first half. So the the goal wasn't a good chance. It was a half yeah, chance. That was, more it was just of, an amazing yeah, finish. But, but but again, like United had absolutely the better of it in this game. Chelsea had so no, very okay. little chances. Here, you guys had a lot of half chances. I, I'll agree with you. I, I agreed with you up until that point when you said that the starting you know formation system by Graham Potter was the most predictable thing I've seen him do as Chelsea manager. Uh, playing the two in midfield with the three up front of Sterling, Aubameyang, uh, Mount was so predictable and yet so like something you could so easily just with one little shift of making it a uh, a three in midfield with Mount dropping in behind the two forwards of Sterling and Aubameyang could have fixed that problem. But I think it was done on purpose to play the three across the front to try and just have more bodies further up the field for counterattacking opportunities where Chelsea have struggled against Manchester United during that time you've mentioned where they've been far more counterattacking is we've had all the possession. We've been the ones who've had one or two bad giveaways that have led to a Marcus Rashford counterattack and he just, you know, wins a penalty or scores like that's that's happened too many t- times to count under multiple different Chelsea managers. So I think where Graham Potter was going was let's prioritize like defensive stability but the one player who kind of like threw a, a, I guess, a wrench into that whole idea was Mark Kukurea. He was playing way too aggressively, stepping out from the back three and just having the ball dinked over his head for uh, uh, Antony or Rashford to run onto. So they made that change about 32, 33 minutes in where he brought on Kovacic, switched to a 4-3-3 with Jorginho sitting deep, Kovacic on the left of center midfield and Loftus-Cheek on the right of center midfield. And United barely had a sniff after that. 
They had one Anthony chance right before halftime that he put wide, and then they had the goal in the second half. But other than that, they did nothing, and we took control of midfield and the game. So to say United, you know, deserved to win based off 30 minutes where, you know, they created like one or two chances. Well, Chelsea didn't I, really create anything for the rest of the game. Didn't really trouble De Gea at all. Um, and they were at home. And there's, the there's onus, other reasons. The onus, there's other the reasons onus for that. Is, was on Chelsea to, to take the game to United. And, and in the end, I mean, it would have been a smash and grab win. A draw is probably a fair result. Um, I'm not saying United deserve to win, but you 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 did literally just say earlier in this pod. I think United deserved to win based on based <laughs> on like said, based on like the amount of fair. chances and and you know I think they looked better than Chelsea. But Potter just I think made a mistake at the beginning, and then once he rectified the mistake, like you said, it was much more of an even game. So, but I was still impressed. Oh, and with, I forgot I forgot to mention about that uh, that Mount playing behind the strikers instead of as part of a front three. The main reason that that would have fixed things basically in those first 30 minutes is because Casemiro just had all day to, you know, dictate tempo. No one was pressing him in midfield. And then once we switched to that three in midfield and even the numbers up, we had that extra man to usually Loftus-Cheek or Kovacic to step up and, you know, make sure the play got uh, made out wide. And United couldn't really create anything out wide through their fullbacks. So I don't think it's the end of the world. It, it feels terrible because of the nature of conceding very late after thinking you've scored a late winner. That plays on you know any fan's mind when that happens. When you concede late on and go from getting three points to one at home, that's going to be deflating, but it's not the end of the world. And uh, Chelsea have got three more games here, like tough games. Brighton away it isn't a top six clash, but, you know, very easily uh, could have the same level of intensity just by the nature of Potter going back to that club. Uh, New uh, Arsenal at home after that, and then Newcastle away. Those are our three games before we go on the World Cup break. So I, I, I'd be much more concerned about, you know, making sure we don't lose any of those games. If we end up getting two draws and a win out of those games, it won't be ideal. But, you know, it's treading water and keeping us in, you know, keeping us in the conversation for top four. We can't go into the World Cup like with a big deficit to to get back into top four. Um, so I, I don't think it's the end of the world. It's I think it's part of the growing pains of these injuries that we've picked up and Potter still trying to figure out what his best team is. Should we move on to uh, Liverpool's slip up? Because that's probably the uh, most high profile uh, loss of, of the weekend. Yeah, no, nobody saw that coming. I mean, <laughs> I almost captained Mohamed Salah. I learned my lesson. I had PTSD. I learned my Holland PTSD. So I, 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 I didn't do it. I never, never faltered again on that. I kept it on Holland, but I almost put the captain armband in fantasy on Salah just because it was, I was like, oh, Nottingham Forest, their bottom, you know, surely Salah goes off here. And Liverpool were just. I don't know. It was probably their worst performance of the season. After such good results recently, we thought they'd turned a corner and then suddenly, you know, ugh, just terrible, terrible. The, uh, Nottingham Forest could have had two or three, you know, I think they could have had more goals. I mean, Liverpool obviously could have scored goals. They could have taken chances that they had, but they were just so stale. I don't know if it, you know, I, I said it at the beginning of the season. I thought that there was going to be growing pains for this team, and I think a lot of these injuries, the team not meshing as much as well as they want, 
you know, this is going to be another era of, I don't know, you know, Klopp is going to be the one transitioning this team into another era, but I don't know if he's going to be the one to take it forward. I feel like for Klopp, it might be going a little bit stale. I remember at Dortmund, he lasted, what, or a similar amount of time? I mean, I think he's been longer seven at years. Liverpool. He was seven. He's in year seven yep. now. He's, so it's like, you know, it kind of feels like maybe this is, this is the type of... You know, sooner rather than later, Liverpool are going to have to find some some new fresh manager to to bring fresh life into this team because I bet you for a few Steven of these Gerrard's players on the market. Yeah, I bet you a few for a few of these players <laughs> that Klopp's ideas, everything, it's starting to get a little bit stale. And if they if they keep not getting results, then yeah, this could be the the beginning of the end for it. I'm not I'm not saying it is, but this is a this is a really bad result for them when they if we thought they had momentum. Yeah, awful results. It's, uh, I mean, especially when you compare it to winning at home against Manchester City the week before, keeping a clean sheet against Manchester City. So all of a sudden, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I'm pretty sure the expected goals in that Nottingham Forest game was like 2-1 Nottingham Forest. Obviously, it only ends up being 1-0, but Liverpool had chances off of set pieces that I'm sure Virgil van Dijk will be tearing his long beautiful hair out about because he had uh, he he by himself had like three great opportunities from set pieces and like one right near the end that Henderson made a, Dean Henderson made a great save on um, that you know on another day Liverpool if they're a bit sharper they uh, they're up 2-0 from you know set piece opportunities um, but you're right there's there's definitely something wrong with them in open play and you know maybe it's a maybe it's a side effect of playing like two young players like Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott in midfield and then having Fabinho drop an absolute stinker like he was not not the usual solid Fabinho who you can count on to keep possession and you know cover for your defensive line he was he's been having more of those the, the possession yeah and like he seemed a lot better in the Man City game last week, but then to turn around and just you know stand out as a bad performer in this game against Nottingham Forest is and they still had worrying. you know Scott worried. McKenna and, and Steve Cook starting at centre back, so there was no no wonders here in 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 defence for Nottingham Forest. Liverpool absolutely should have scored multiple goals. Yeah, but uh, but Forest Forest's biggest okay, so they did defend pretty well. I, I agree they they don't have the best like names at the back in McKenna and Cook but they defended well for this one-off game and as a team they were excellent in transition creating counterattacks uh yeah it's it's a mystery how they they didn't score two especially the the Brennan Johnson one where he, he like the post. Allison was yeah. out of his goal and he hit the post like that that would have absolutely blown up uh that stadium if he if he'd scored that from that range even without the keeper um, but yeah, I, I would definitely still be worried if I was a Liverpool fan because it, they seem like they're in not an exactly similar place to to Chelsea, but I see similarities in that Liverpool, they're not playing any sort of consistent starting lineup. There's always one or two changes in key areas from, you know, whether it's like Robertson being out for like a month or so at left back. And then as soon as he comes back, Trent Alexander-Arnold picks up an injury. Like, so they never have both those two players who are so important to them. They always have like one of Carvalho or Harvey Elliott starting for them. In, in this game, it was, you know, both and Curtis Jones. It's three very young, inexperienced players. It's uh, it's something to overcome and they're, they're not getting the 
the the traditional output from players like Sala and Firmino and you know even Fabinho uh, that they've relied on for the last couple of years. So I I don't I tend to not like want to blame those young players. I, I blame you know players like Mohamed Salah who signed a big contract extension. Liverpool basically said to him, "We choose you over Sadio Mane," and he hasn't he hasn't lived up to it. He's uh, he's got to improve for sure. Um, but uh, who they got up next? I think they have Leeds at home, which, you know, as far as bounce back games go, that could be a pretty good one <laughs> for them because Leeds are, you know, struggling a hell of a lot right now. And Jesse Marsh is on the hot seat. So maybe they bounce back at home against Anf- uh, at Anfield next week. Uh, but let's move on to your boys now. You guys, uh, Arsenal went to Southampton, drew 1-1. Uh, you guys went ahead for the very impressive goal by Granite Xhaka in the 11th minute. Great ball by Ben White to, to find and pick out Granite Xhaka. But then a lovely sweeping move from Southampton in the second half in the 65th minute. Got them the equalizer. And then it was a nice, you know, up and down game. Uh, end-to-end game after that. Both teams trying to get the win. It was entertaining stuff, but uh, neither team could get the three points. I know you're not used to this feeling, Javier, but... Yeah, you, you know, know, I don't like it, Try Alex. to remain calm. Um, just try to remain calm. You're, you're still two things, points a ahead. A few things. Number one, there was a stonewall penalty in the first half. The, uh, the, the Gabriel Jesus being grabbed twice. The, the Alex, your argument for it, we were talking before the pod, you say that he was grabbed before the box. I resent before this he goes presentation. Into the box. I, I, I resent this presentation because you're saying my argument for it, like, like I fully support that a penalty wasn't given. I was just explaining to you to me, when it's you were a, raging to me it's out insane. about this decision. It's insane. Why, why it's not no, given as a penalty. There's no fan That's out there. There's no fan out there. Manchester City, anyone would not say that this is not a penalty because if this happened to their team, you would be fuming. You would be going crazy saying, how is that not a red card and a penalty? Because there was no other defenders near him. Gabriel Jesus had control of the ball, was in on goal, and was held back twice with both arms in the box. It doesn't make any sense to me um, how that wasn't called. Um, and it wasn't and so just what, that. What Hold I'll on. It wasn't about. It, I, I, beside that, beside that incident. I got to address that immediate, that, incident, that immediate just thing hold on. I, I don't need to address before it before you move on to other parts hold of the on. game. I'm I saying. don't need to address it. Yeah, because it, because it it wasn't just that. It was it was a culmination of since the first minute. Uh, their players were leaving in late tackles, you know, pushing us off the ball. Lycano grabbed United did the same Martinelli. Thing to us. Uh, sorry, Gabriel Jesus in the th- Gabriel Jesus's throat, and then he hit Martinelli twice. Neither of them were yellow carded, or probably the Martinelli one should have been a red card. He literally punched him twice, two punches in the back, and yeah, there was okay, no dude, call. No. No one is, go- no one is going no to agree with you fouls more. Given. I can I can think of like three instances in Chelsea's season where the same thing has Just happened listen, wait. and it's ended so up with us drawing. After like, all of I, these I happened, all of these happened during Arsenal's really good period of play where those first 30 minutes you were just dominating Southampton. Everyone thought we were going to go and score two, three goals. But after the constant fouling and these incidents happening, our players were getting pissed and were doing stupid things like started to dive or started to... To welcome to the Premier League. It is a tactic that many teams use threw, to throw you like off. They, I'll give Southampton credit now. Now I'm all going to give Southampton credit. They shit the crap out of us. Like they did it because the referee allowed them. Though I mean, the refereeing was just absolutely atrocious. I don't understand. Like there, there should have been. 
at least a, a, a yellow card and a penalty given there. And like Hano, by the way, got a yellow way later in the game, but he should have gotten a yellow for that incident there. He should have gotten a yellow for putting putting his hand on uh, on uh, Jesus's throat for hitting Martinelli twice. I mean, it was ridiculous. It was actually like infuriating to watch. And I was feeling kind of defeated by the refereeing, even though we were winning the game, because it felt like it th- like at some point Southampton were going to get a result because of what was happening. They were going to get a goal. And Southampton had a good period of play in the second half. You know, I think them not having a midweek game, or they did have a midweek game. Yeah, I guess they had a Premier League game, but Arsenal played on Thursday, and we played a lot of our first team um, because, you know, I guess it was PSV, and we were trying to win the group. And you could definitely tell that it affected them a little bit, um, dropped off a little bit in the second half, like in the Leeds game. And see, this all just sounds like excuses. No, to and me. and then uh, it's not an excuse. It's it's something that we have to, we we can't let the energy drop like that. And then our substitutes, you know, Tierney was not on the pace, and Ketia was not on the pace, Vieira was not on the pace. All of them came on, lost the ball multiple times, you know, just dribbled the ball out of play, kicked the ball out of play, gave the ball to the opposition. Just a bunch of mistakes that did not give us help us, you know get that extra push to go and win the game because the game was there to be won. Southampton weren't very good the last 25 minutes of the game. We were able to control possession and, you know, we had half chances. Uh, and they stuff, were, they were pretty good on the, they were pretty good on the break. They started, you know, you know, winning the ball more in midfield, they were just holding the ball up. Well, yeah, they were holding the ball up well and, and trying to bring more players into the attack, but it was also opening them up for us to get a winner. The winner was there to be had. Our substitutes didn't perform. Um, a lot of the first team, you know, fell off in the second half. But I, I really, really but believe Javier, that the referee a had a lot to do with that. So here's a compliment to you guys, though. That's going to happen. Weirdly enough, the league has changed. That is going to happen a lot more to you now that you guys are, you know, at the very, very top of the table. You know, uh, more than a quarter of the of the way into the season in first place. Teams have figured out. Teams up and down the league have figured out that. There are certain teams that are too good for you to sit in a low block for the full 90 minutes. You know, there's still some teams that might risk it, but that is basically like you're asking to concede one and lose one nil. Like these teams now think to themselves, okay, we have to push them back, push their fullbacks as deep as we can with our own press and try to like basically strike the fear of God into these big teams that they're going to get, you know, the ball just played over their head. Uh, and multiple players running onto it when they're caught too far upfield. So Southampton leads these kinds of teams. They now think to themselves like, all right, there's going to be moments of the game where we're going to open up more than we probably should, and we're probably going to concede in that time, but it's the only way we have a chance of getting like anything out of this game because we have to score one or two if we want to you know, get at least a draw against a team like Arsenal, Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea. It's just part of like the risk they have to take now. And I'll leave the whole thing about, you know, the the bad refereeing and yellow cards alone because I've voiced that same frustration many a time. But the the, the penalty itself, I, I just have to say, what the same thing I told you, the reason that VAR did not review it is because the initial contact of the foul started outside of the box. And that's up to the referee. The referee should have called a free kick. I agree because the contact started outside of the box. And... If he had, VAR would have reviewed it and then probably given a penalty because it continued into the box. So I guess that goes into play with your bad refereeing thing. 
And guess what? There's a ton of bad referees. I can't name one referee in the Premier League, like maybe Michael Oliver, but I still sit there and watch him just let games play on when one team is kicking the shit out of the other one. And it frustrates me too. So I don't know what to say. Like, like Anthony Taylor, the referee I hate the most, he represents England as like one of their best referees in like European tournaments. Like he referees Champions League games. And you see these like Italian and Portuguese and French teams just go, what the fuck is this? Like they get to experience it for like themselves. It's insane. But it's just, you know, it's something that needs to be fixed. But I, I'm not a smart enough guy to tell you how to fix it. But something needs to be done. I would agree. Yeah. One last thing about Arsenal. If this is our what our bad run is here, you know, we didn't play very well in the Leeds game. Probably deserved to lose or draw that game. We won it. This Southampton game played pretty well, but, you know, easily could have gone and lost this game because games like this in the past, we've gone and lost, you know, when we feel like the referee's against us and they get a goal and they get momentum in the crowd behind them. Southampton have kind of been the bogey team for Arsenal, and last season we lost there. So, again, we gained a point where we lost last season. If this is what our bad run is and we can turn it around in these you know, last three games before the World Cup, then, you know, that this is that's really, really good. You know, we just have to turn this around these these couple of games. I and mean, we were playing th- games every three days right now. You know, just got to go all out for these last few games and uh, keep up the momentum because we need as many points as we can go before we go into the next half of the season because you never know what's going to happen. Right. You never know what injuries or whatever can happen. Yeah, let's move on to the other big upset of the weekend. I actually don't even know if we can call it an upset because uh, Newcastle may just be that good. They went to Tottenham and handed Spurs their first home loss of the Premier League season, beating them 2-1. They got two uh, first half goals from Callum Wilson and uh, Miguel Almiron uh, before Kane uh, got them back into the game early in the second half, but they just couldn't quite overcome this this stout uh, Newcastle defense. You know, they've been very impressive, even conceding the goal here at Tottenham. We've seen a lot of teams go to Tottenham, uh, go up even 1-0 early in the game, and then Tottenham just storm back and score two or three or four at times unanswered. You know, I think Southampton did it on the opening day and then lost 4-1. I remember Leicester uh, did it as well and then lost like 4-5-2 or something. Tottenham have usually been like an unstoppable force at home. So for Newcastle to go there, beat Tottenham, jump Chelsea and Manchester United into the the top four uh, with, you know, 12 games played. They've got, they're tied on points with Chelsea, 21 points, but we have a game in hand on them. So uh, they're just ahead by goal difference. But yeah, you know, they're one point clear of Manchester United. Uh, Newcastle and it looks like Fulham in seventh have had like really surprising, surprisingly good starts to the Premier League season. I think Newcastle have only lost once and I, Honestly, can't tell you which game that was. Do you know? Because it wasn't Manchester City. Oh, it was, uh, they lost at Liverpool 2-1. But I, I think that was like a last-second yeah. winner by yeah, Fabio Carvalho. That, yeah, so they, pretty, they, uh, they, they barely they lost barely to Liverpool. Lost the game, yeah. So, yeah, what were your thoughts? I'm sure you enjoyed this just as much as I did. Yeah, uh, that's no, two I mean, straight I thought losses that, for Tottenham uh, now. I mean, Tottenham were desperate for most of this game. They were fouling a bunch. You know, I was very impressed with the, the calmness of Newcastle in possession, the way they were replayed in transition. Um, how good they are blocking shots and just last-ditch tackles, things like that. You know, Eddie Howe really has them uh, looking like they're going to be a top contender for, for Europe this season. You know, they're, they're 
you know, could absolutely displace someone in the so-called big six and make this actually a big seven. And I'm sure they're going to make some more signings in January. This this is going to be a scary team. I really like uh, the way Almiron's on crazy form right now. I think he has six goals and five assists or something, scoring beautiful goals. Ruben Gamerais scoring got his goal scoring and and assist touchback. Uh, Callum Wilson is is playing well in the team. You know they they've got a lot of outlets right now for Newcastle right now. I think they still have places they can improve. You know Longstaff is decent, but. Uh, you know, him, Willock, Willock's, Willock's all right. You know, he's good. He's, he's got his role in the team, but he, he's never been able to find that goal scoring crazy form that he had earlier. Uh, you know, when, when he was, was on loan. loan. Yeah. Um, but he's still, he's still been playing pretty decent in the midfield. Um, but I think there's still areas where they can improve there and uh, more signings that they can make to put alongside Bruno Gimaraes, um and take this team to, to higher levels. You know, Trippier has been on really good form. Seemingly, uh, that's Sven Botman, Dan Byrne. They, they've got a big backline. They, they're playing a similar type backline to what Arsenal's doing, where they, they have a bunch of center back type players, and then, you know, Trippier as well. But Trippier's a really good defensive wing back as well. And, you know, he, he played Athletic over under Simeone, so he's definitely learned to play a more defensive style. And it really suits this, the, 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 the huge other three defenders that uh Newcastle play back there so just yeah they officially have the uh, best defense in the league based off goals conceded they've only only conceded 10 uh and there's three teams tied for second on 11 conceded Arsenal Manchester City and Chelsea so their defensive record is right up there with you know big six teams if uh, you want to call them that and yeah they've got a, a better goal difference than Chelsea so uh yeah they're, they're doing very well right now I'm still I still need to see who they sign in January. I think that's the main thing also that's that is still preventing me from being like in a real panic about Chelsea and the transition that Chelsea are going through. In January, the the owners have already shown at Chelsea and you know at Newcastle as well that they're going to reassess during this month off. Uh, they're going to see if there are any significant injuries from players going to the World Cup. And they'll have a plan ready to go for January, and they'll most likely be aggressive. As we've said before, there's probably going to be a lot of teams that are going to be very aggressive in the January transfer window, because it's the first one we've ever had that has come right after a World Cup. And most transfer windows in the summer after a World Cup are a little bit more, you see a lot more uh, aggression and risk-taking from teams, because they all become enamored by six games of good performances by a relatively unknown player. So... Uh, yeah, a lot can change in the next month or so, but Newcastle have got themselves in a really good position. For Tottenham, Antonio Conte has already conceded that they're not going to, they're not in the league title discussion. You know, they're on 23 points in third place, uh, five points behind Arsenal, three points behind Manchester City, with one more game played. Uh, they've lost three of their last five, you know, counting that Arsenal loss five games ago, but they had unconvincing wins against Brighton and Everton after that, before these two losses to Manchester United and uh, Newcastle. Are, are you worried at all about their top four hopes with this? Or do you think it's just that, you know, they're definitely out of the title race? I'm definitely worried about them for top four, purely because of Newcastle's rise, because I think Liverpool will still, you know, have something to say about it till the end of the season. Turn it around. Um, you know, teams like Fulham, Brighton, West Ham... Um, even Everton, Brentford, you know, all of them are really hard to beat at home. 
um, and they're going to take points away from Tottenham. And yeah, I just think Tottenham. I'm not so sure that a three-four-three a tight can win well, can win a title. Two. Yeah, I don't. Th- it's been three-five-two yeah, three, the last two, two games. I, I just don't think that that type of no Kulusevski hurts them. Um, and the the play style of sitting back and playing counterattacking is good enough anymore to win the title. Can it get top four? I think yeah. I think the players that Tottenham has. I think if they get Kulusevski back. That's going to be huge for them, you know. They need players like that back. They were playing really well when he was in the side. They looked really good. Um, they need him, Son, Son to, you know, maybe crash out early of the World Cup, get a little bit of rest, and get him back going in the second half of the season. I think there's... there's well, Kulishevsky won't be at the World Cup, which is obviously a good thing yeah, for that's them. Yeah, that's going to be, again... Not playing for when, Sweden. They, if they so. can get him back healthy, get him back into the team, you know, then that'll be big for them. They, um, they've really missed him. They, they've missed specifically his deliveries from wide areas because they're fullbacks at the moment, like Sessegnon. He was also just he, like feeding Kane and Son constantly. Yeah, but I'm saying that those the, the players who are playing in those wide areas now are usually the fullbacks since they're only playing with two up top, Kane and Son. When they were playing with like the 3-4-3 and not a 3-5-2 with another defensive midfielder, when they had Kulosevsky as part of a front three, he would let Son and Kane, you know, go get into the box, sniff out whatever chances that he could deliver in with combinations from those fullbacks. But now it's just up to, well, the wingbacks, I should say. Now it's just up to those wingbacks to, you know, do all the defensive work and get themselves forward and give and, Son and, and Kane like good And is a much greedier player. You know, he, he wants he, to trade chances. He tries to dribble and stuff. Yeah, exactly. He's been injured too, but, you know, they, they, they just... Bad injuries, I think, are also adding to bad form right now for for Tottenham a little bit. And no, I don't think I don't think that they can they should be panicking or anything yet. Um, I think there's been enough good signs. They have enough good players, and I think the World Cup is going to be beneficial for them. Here's the thing, though. The thing that you know, as a Chelsea fan, I'm eagerly awaiting this to happen. I think it's very possible. Kane still. injury? No, not even that. I'm not that. I'm not that much of a vindictive asshole. Uh, I know Antonio Conte. I've said this many times. And Antonio Conte will not stand up for, you know, the higher ups at a club he's working at, like conceding and throwing in uh, the towel early on a season. So if like Tottenham still have sort of like meandering form from here to the World Cup break. And then in January, they don't go out and sign anyone like any other like other center backs, because clearly Lenglet is not going to work out. He's not been very good, I don't think, from from what I've seen. Almiron just like walked past him to score the second goal. It was ridiculous. That that's an example of a position they need to go out and make like another big signing in, probably another fullback, probably like an attacking midfield player that can, you know, help them gain more control of games. If they don't give him what he wants, he'll threaten to leave in the middle of the season. He's he's that psychotic about winning. And like having having to say to the reporters after a game in the end of October that they're out of the, the title race, that's like that's panic mode in Antonio Conte's mind. He's he's that psychotic about, you know, winning and being one of the best teams in the league. And that, that's what makes him great. But it's also something that makes him a risk at any time to fall out with, you know, his bosses and say, well, fine, fuck it. I'll leave. Some other team will value my quality and they'll back me with the players that I deserve. So keep an eye out for that one, Tottenham fans. Don't want you feeling too good about yourselves. <laughs> that was the first points that uh, Tottenham dropped at home in a long time, by the way. So yeah, yeah, like I said, it was their first really, loss really at, home. Good at home. I don't know if that was his first loss at home. Uh, in the league this season. 
I don't. Did he lose at home last season when he came in? I don't know. Antonio Conte's generally been very, very good. I wouldn't be surprised if that was one of his first losses at home. Like you know, so because he's been very, very good. And I remember they beat Manchester City at home last year. So oh no, they they lost to they lost to Southampton and Brighton at home last season. Okay, okay. So yeah, they've, they've had some home. I, I remember those games at least. Armando Broya, Javier. Armando Broya. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, just hitting on the rest of the results from last weekend, Manchester City had another uh, brace from Erling Haaland to win uh, 3-1 against Brighton. Uh, Leeds uh, went ahead, but then uh, conceded three straight goals to Fulham and uh, got a late consolation in a 3-2 loss at home that leaves Jesse Marsh in a bit of a precarious position. Aston Villa bounced back with a big FU performance to Steven Gerrard, going up 3-0 in the first 15 minutes of the game against Brentford and ending up winning 4-0. And Everson got their biggest home win of the season, beating Crystal Palace uh, 3-0. Then down near uh, the bottom of the table, uh, Leicester beat Wolves 4-0 away from home, and uh, West Ham beat Bournemouth earlier today on Monday 2-0. Uh, what games are catching your eye next weekend? We don't have any like top six clashes, but you know there's some interesting ones we could uh, that, talk about uh, real that quick. That Leicester Man City one that's seven thirty in the morning. I'll probably wake up for that, uh, catch a few glimpses of that because Leicester are on good form. They've lost one out of the last four games, four clean sheets out of the last five. Um, but kind of seem to have found the scoring touch again defensively. They're they look to be not back, but a lot better and. They've kind of been a bogey team for City in the past. They've, they've given City games before. You know, there's been six threes and four twos. And I kind of expect the same thing because they're at home. They're on a good run. I, I think they're going to give City a hard game. Um, and I'm going to say 3-1 Manchester okay. City. But I think that's going to oh, be a fun okay. one. Yeah, I mean, it's still a matchup between the team that's conceded the most goals in the league, Leicester, versus the team that scored the most goals, Manchester City. So uh, I'll be captaining Erling Holland again. I think most people will be. Uh, if they're playing fantasy. Uh, yeah, but the the game that catches my eye, obviously, is Brighton hosting Chelsea Saturday at 10 a.m. here in the States. Graham Potter going back to his old club, barely even two months since uh, leaving Brighton. Uh, he, he's, he's a rare case of managers that, uh, you know, most of them, when they leave a club, it's on bad terms. They're getting sacked because of, you know, their team's underperforming. Uh, Graham Potter left Brighton because he managed to get that team to overperform. So I'm expecting kind of like a mixed reception for him there. I'm sure there'll be plenty of fans there that, you know, didn't get to say like a goodbye because everything happened so suddenly and they'll want to, you know, put on a, a good face for the club. But then there's probably going to be plenty of fans that are going to be very bitter about it. And I don't, I don't blame them one bit. Um, so it'll be a very emotionally charged game, I think, for the Brighton players. And even though they're on like a three game losing run now since getting that like draw uh in the first game at liverpool under deserby they've they've lost three straight and i think only scored once with trussard against manchester city i I think they'll raise their levels for this one and this one it has the potential to be the kind of game that chelsea have had with uh like aston villa when we underperformed but got like two moments of of either a fuck up or a moment of magic to win the game and I think we walk out like 2-1 undeserved winners. But I really do think we need to win this one because, like I said, the last two games in the league before the World Cup break are Arsenal at home and Newcastle away, which you know look like much tougher games now than they did at the beginning of the season. So got to win this one for me. Uh, and then I guess the other two games we should mention, maybe not necessarily talk at length about, but Liverpool are going to be hosting Leeds Saturday at 2.45 p.m., the uh, rare... 
late night game in the Premier League on a Saturday. And then uh, during that 10 a.m. time slot, Newcastle will be hosting Aston Villa. Unai Emery was just announced as Steven Gerrard's replacement. Good evening. He is back. He uh, Aston Villa paid his release clause from Villarreal, where he won them the Europa League. And he paid seven got million them pretty a far. Yeah. Good for you, Unai. Good money. Uh, uh, but he got them to the Champions League like Also, Villa went and won year. 4-0. Alex, what have I been saying to you? I don't know if I've said it on this podcast. I think I have. But I've just been on the fuck John McGinn train for the whole season. And Gerard never dropped John McGinn. And I, I, I've, i like, actually gone onto like, Aston Villa's, like, subreddit and read, like, everyone hates John McGinn because they all think that he sabotages their gameplay. First game John McGinn is dropped. No Steven Gerrard. Villa are up 3-0 15 minutes in and destroying a pretty good Brentford side. End up winning 4-0, managerless. No John McGinn to be seen in the side. He was on the bench, but just uh, exciting times for uh, for Unai and uh, great squad. I was looking at the bench and I was like, they have quality on the bench. They have quality on the team. They just need really need a needed a quality manager like I think Unai Emery is, is, is perfect. I don't know if his style of, you know, supposedly being a cup slash European manager is good for Villa if they want to maybe go and win an, a, a League Cup or an FA Cup or something. But he's generally not been the best in the league. And well, he had that good run uh, with you guys, where you guys went like what, like twenty games unbeaten or something, like. So I mean, I mean, maybe the, with the you know the lowered standards at Aston Villa, he doesn't feel that same pressure that you know, there is at a bigger club like Arsenal. It seems like with the clubs that aren't the very top level ones, that seems like more his level. He can you know raise yeah, I was say, the, that's the a standards good, uh, of players like a with good lower signing, expectations. And then I'm sure. You know, might be a good pipeline. He might be able to get something from uh, from Villarreal. There, there's some good players over there too. So, yeah, I uh, I like it for Villa, and it's exciting. Let's see, uh, you know, if they can what he can do at Newcastle because Newcastle have been. Uh, it's gonna be a tough first game. Really, really good at home. Yeah, still haven't lost at home yet. Got a three-three draw with Manchester City and have beaten pretty much everyone else. So, uh, yeah, that'll be a, a very interesting one. Javier, let's uh, wrap it up there. Thanks again for uh, jumping on uh, late at night after work. I always appreciate it. If you want to follow Javier on Twitter, you can follow him at JavierRev9. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ASMoss92. And you can follow the podcast socials at GhostGoalPod. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please go ahead and drop a rating for the podcast and uh, maybe leave a review. Uh, those help new listeners to find the pod. And we always appreciate it when you guys can... Uh, Help us get this out to a few more people. Enjoy the games. Uh, The Champions League is back this midweek and the Premier League games next weekend. And until next time, see you.